Well, hey, everybody. <clears throat> Good to see you. Well, today we are in our fourth and our final part of our series called First Things First. And uh, this series, as you know, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, is really launching us into the new year. And the premise behind this series is we said this. We said we know that God wants to do some incredibly extravagant things in our lives in 2017. And we're seeking God for that and we're praying for that and hoping for that. But we also know that underneath those things can be some very simple things. And so in this series, we're looking at first things first. What are the simple things that can lay a foundation for God to, to do extravagant things? We said that the inspiration that really this series came from was from the Old Testament book of 2 Kings chapter 5. And in 2 Kings 5, we, we see the story of this guy named Naaman. And Naaman is a guy, he was a military leader. Uh, the scriptures refer to him as a valiant leader. I mean, he was a guy that won military battle after battle after battle. And he was a guy that you would have esteemed had you been around in his day and been under his leadership. But what we know is, that, what we know is this about Naaman is that even though he accomplished all of these great things, and even though he had military battle that he won after military battle, the greatest thing, the greatest blessing that came to Naaman came to something very, very simple. Uh, it wasn't hard for him to do. The, the greatest thing that ever came his way came from very, something very simple. And so again, we asked ourselves the question in this series. We said, hey, what are the four things? If we could just break it down to four things as we launch into 2017, what would be four things that would propel us very well into this year? What would be things that we would say, first things first, it would be wise for me to put this in my life. It would be, it would be smart for me to prioritize this, week, this, this, uh, this thing that we're talking about. And so in week uh, one, we looked at Psalm uh, number one, and we said, hey, first things first, it would be wise for us. We look at Psalm one, we see this picture of this, this person that they just grow strong, their life produces all sorts of good, and, and the habit, though, that's in that person's life is they daily sit before God. And they hear from God and they read God's word. And so, so we leaned into that and we said, hey, church, let's be a church in 2017 that individually we're, we're leaning in and we're hearing from God. And, and it was so fun to see so many of you respond to say, hey, we're in for 365. And, um, and many of you just even signed up for that and to have our staff and myself be praying for you. I prayed for a guy this morning and I love what he wrote. He just made this little comment. He said, trying it again, you know, and I just love that. He's just saying, hey, I, I want to give this a shot. I want to be in God's word. So that was week one of First Things First. Then in week two, we looked at this fascinating story. Fascinating story from, from Mark chapter 14, and it was the story of, of how Mary brought this extravagant worship to Jesus, how she came before Jesus and worshiped Jesus in such an extravagant way. And so it was this encouragement, I think, really challenged us of how do we worship God, not just out in the world by the things we do and how we work, but even how do we worship him in this place? Is it extravagant is the question that we asked. And then last week, Tim unpacked so well, two powerful verses from Hebrews chapter 10. And we talked about last week, first things first, what does it mean to live connected? What does it mean to live a life that's in relationship with other people? And then after that message, we went and we had a group link event where people were, had an opportunity to get into a community group, a small group. And it was so neat because 155 people got into a group last weekend. And so I just want to say, we want to say, way to go, Brookside. You heard, you heard God's word. Hey, it's smart to get connected. Um, and, and then you acted on that. And so, so way to go. Way to, to be uh, taking a step and in, in being a in a group. Today we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 17. And today we're going to see this compelling example. If this wasn't a parable that Jesus taught to prove a point, to make a point. This, this was 
a real-life example. This was something that would have unfolded right before his eyes. And so today we're going to be talking about something that when it takes place in our lives, you could say it reshapes, it puts us in a place that is right before God. It puts us in a place where we're able to see God work and where we're able to live with a perspective that's really life-altering. And so we're going to talk this morning about very simply this. Uh, Rob mentioned this. We're going to talk about what does it mean to live a life that chooses gratitude? What does it mean to live that kind of life where first things first, I'm the kind of person that I actively choose to be grateful? Um, Let me ask you, have you ever noticed this? It is easier to ask for something or it's easier to want something than it is to say thank you for something that you've received. Would you agree with that? It's easier to throw out a request. It's easier to ask for something, to really want something, than it is to say thank you for something that you've already received. I think it's more natural, isn't it? Would you agree? It's more natural to express even a gripe. Uh, It's more natural, I think, to say, I'm just going to complain about this. It's so much more natural to do that than it is to simply say thank you, to come back and say thank you. I was talking to a uh, a guy here at Brookside a couple weeks ago, and I had a couple of my kids next, next to us. And, and so we're talking, and our kids are there, and, and um, this guy gave a compliment to one of my kids. And before they could even get a word out, just on total autopilot, I jumped in, and I said, hey, wh- what do you say? Before they could even get a word out. Parents, you do that thousands and thousands of times, don't you? You'll hear a parent say, even to a very young ch- child, you'll say, hey, what do you say? Someone says, gives you something nice. You say, what do you say? And what that parent is doing is they're trying to train, key word, they're trying to train their child to be grateful. And the reason they have to train their child to be grateful is because it doesn't come easily, does it? It's easier to say, hey, I want this, I need this, and then just to kind of move on through life. It just doesn't happen as easily Um, as it does to express gratitude. That takes a little bit more work. It takes intentionality. But we're going to see this morning this. When we look at the scriptures, and when we really think about who is the source of all good things, we're going to see this morning that gratitude shouldn't come very hard to us. We're going to see this morning that when we really think about the good things in our life and the source of those good things, we're going to be able to see and we're going to be able to relate to this. And it's going to be, I think, even more natural for us as a church to say before God, God, we thank you. God, we honor you. And, and, and if you're a follower of Christ, it should be, of any group on the planet, it should be easier for us to, to willingly choose gratitude. And so the text that we're going to be looking at, it's a lot like the one that we looked at in Mark chapter 14 a few weeks ago. If you remember, as we read Mark 14, we said this is the kind of text that when you read it, if you would have been there, the the scene would have gripped you. It would have been jaw-dropping. It would have been the kind of text where if you would have seen that story unfold before your eyes, it would have stopped you in your tracks. That will happen this morning. It's that kind of a text. If we'd have been there, there's no way you would have forgotten the scene. And so if you want to even go there now, Luke 17, turn there, click there. And I'm going to read this story in its entirety. But I want to encourage you, use your imagination as we jump into this text. I mean, this was a real life example. Get into it. Because here's the thing. If you would have been there, it would have been so graphic to you. 
It would have been so moving to you. It would have been so convicting even to you in a good way. And so with that said, let me pray for us. And let's just ask God, God, would you speak to us this morning in this place? So let me, let me pray and, and then we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you, Lord, that we can come before you and that we can hear from you. And Lord, we just want to just declare to you this morning, Lord, you are so incredibly good. You are a good father. And Father, you love us, and Lord, you long to speak into our hearts and into our lives. And so, Lord, this morning, I pray that we wouldn't just hear your words, but I pray, God, that we would feel them to the core of our being and that we would be compelled by them. And so right now, Lord, we just invite that because we know you answer prayers that, that offer you an invitation to come and do a work. And so even right now, would you on your own, just as a simple prayer to God, would you just say, Lord... I invite you in. And maybe you're brand new to church this morning. That's a risky prayer, but I, I would challenge you. Would you pray that prayer? You'll see how God will answer it. So right now, everyone, would you just say, Lord, I invite you to speak to me this morning. Just go ahead and have that conversation. Lord, we, um, we love you, and uh, it's a total gift this morning to be able to hear from you, to be able to see a story that taught such a strong lesson. And, um, and Father, we pray that you would just do a, a special work in your church this morning. So we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, here we go. Verse 11. The story unfolds like this. It says, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. And they stood at a distance... And they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice. And then he threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him and he was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God Except this foreigner. Then he said to them, to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, if we would have watched that unfold, it would have stopped us in our tracks. And we're going to see this morning that in our text, we're going to learn a whole lot more than just be the kind of person that says thank you. We're going to see this morning that the person whose heart overflows with gratitude to the one to which all of the good things in our lives come, the person that does that, we're going to see that that's a heart level thing. That's something deep that happens in the life of a person. And so we're going to work through this text together. So let's start in verse 11. It says, says this. It says, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. So, so Jesus, he's, in an, he's going to an unnamed village. We don't know what it's called between Samaria and Galilee. And he's on his way ultimately to Jerusalem. Fast forward through the gospel and you'll see this. You'll see that when he gets to Jerusalem, Jesus is going to give the greatest gift that he could possibly give. He's going to give his life. He's going to give a gift that means everything for you and I. It flips our world upside down in a very good way. So that's where Jesus is heading. He's heading to Jerusalem. He stops at this village. That's the scene. Verse 12. It says, as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. And they stood at a distance and, he, and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now no one could have known 
what it was like to have been one of these men. No one with leprosy. There was no one in their world that was more distressed. There was no one in their world that was more alienated. There was no one in their world that was more disenfranchised than this people group. If you would have known someone who had leprosy, you would have seen this happen to them. If you don't know, this is kind of how that disease worked. It starts by damaging the small nerves in your body on the surface of your skin. And then if you don't treat it, if you're not cured of leprosy early on, it can lead to blindness, all sorts of major disabilities. It was horrible. If you had leprosy in that day, you were shunned more than if you had, had committed a serious crime. It was more alienating and crippling than you and I can imagine. Now, according to Levitical law, we see this in Leviticus chapter 13, there was a standard way for how you would treat a leper. There was a standard, there were standard things that you would do if you encountered a person with leprosy or if you had leprosy. It says this in verse 45. It says, anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes and let their hair be unkept. Cover the lower part of their mouth and cry out, unclean, unclean. Imagine doing that all day long, over and over and over. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone and they must live outside the camp. Now, there were medical reasons be, be, behind why this was a part of the Jewish law. I'm stating the obvious here. If you knew someone who had leprosy, the last thing that you would have wanted to have done was to be anywhere close to them because you did not want to get this death sentence that they are living with. But beyond that, there were other ceremonial reasons. In the temple of God, the place where the presence of God dwelt in a special way, nothing unclean could enter. There could be no lamb that would enter, that would be sacrificed, that would have a blemish on it because of the holiness of God. And so these rabbis, what they would do is they would prescribe for a person with leprosy a fixed distance that that person needed to stay away from people who didn't have leprosy. And so oftentimes the distance would be 100 paces. That's about 50 yards. Just imagine that. That's a lot further from me to the, to the back of this wall. So imagine that. You've got this person and their Jesus is over here and they're well beyond that wall and they're shouting out, unclean, unclean, unclean. But in the midst of it, they thought, well, what do we have to lose? We have leprosy. We've tried everything else. And so they thought, okay, well, we'll call out to Jesus. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been so desperate that you were surprised by what you would do to be cured or to be relieved of the thing that was causing you so much grief? You ever been in that place where desperation just overcame you and you thought, I would do anything to get through this? That's where they were at. They were thinking to themselves, what do we have to lose? We see no account in the Old or in the New Testament. We don't see stories. We don't see uh, repeated examples of people pursuing people that had leprosy. We don't see that, that lepers were the kind of people that got a lot of attention. We just don't see that pattern in the scriptures. We don't see that people would have said, you know what, I'll risk my health to go over and to minister to that leper. I'll risk my health or I'll take on the stigma of being unclean so that I can pray for or so that I can try to meet the needs so that I can serve this person with leprosy. We don't see that. 
I just wonder if anyone had ever come up to any of these ten men and said, how are you doing? I'm so sorry you have leprosy. Is there anything I can do to help you? Is there anything I can bring you to help relieve your pain? I don't think they probably got that. People didn't want to be around them. You know, one of the things that I just love about this this text is that it gives us this reminder that Jesus responds to the outcast. Jesus is for the person that's disenfranchised. Jesus is for the person that's marginalized in our society, just like he was in their society. Jesus Christ was on these men's minds. He was thinking about them. And he heard their cry that day. Maybe you're here today and you would say, you know what? I've got my own thing that makes me feel like no one hears me. Maybe you're going through a rough divorce and it's just, or, you know, you're going through suffering from the loss of a loved one. Or you're going through a lot of pain through some other something that came into your life. And all of you just feels like, ah, I just wish someone understood. Be encouraged by this text this morning. Jesus Christ does not turn a deaf ear to the hurting. Psalm 147, it says this, that he heals the brokenhearted. And he might not bring physical healing to you, though he might, but he does offer his presence, no matter what your struggle is. And so be reminded of that, this text. Jesus does not turn a deaf ear to the marginalized or to the hurting or to you and your situation. And so they shouted to Jesus, I mean, what do they have to lose? And so they said, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Isn't it true? Nobody has a hard time when you're desperate asking for something. And these men surely would not have been bashful. It says that they shouted. It translates, it's like a megaphone. They were loud about it. Jesus, have mercy, have pity on us. And then it says this in verse 14. It says that when he saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now, this might sound strange to you. Why would Jesus tell them to go show themselves to the priest? I mean, Jesus had the power to heal. So why didn't Jesus just stop right there and say, you're healed? Why didn't he do that? These Jewish men, these guys with leprosy would have understood this. It would not have been foreign to them why Jesus did this. According to Jewish law, it regulated that the priest not only served as kind of a religious leader, but he was also the kind of person that was like a medical examiner, kind of a, you could say, a health inspector of the day. And so they were instructed to, you go, you ten lepers, you go, and you show yourself to the priest not to be healed. But we want you to go and show yourself to the priest so that he can approve the fact, so that he can put his stamp on it that, yes, you have been healed. And then the priest would say, now go join your community that you left when you got ostracized because of your leprosy. But it says this, on their way to the priest, that's when the event took place. Now don't miss this, though, because these ten lepers had to do something. It says that they went, meaning They took the next step. Have you ever noticed this, that in order for you sometimes to see God do great things in your lives, you have to take the next logical step. You you have to move forward. You have to press on. For some of you, you have gone through many trials in your life. And I'm telling you this, you woke up each day and you said, you know what? I don't have the miraculous event happening, but I do have things right around me that I can just do today. Today. 
I can take one more step. These men had to do something. And when they did, that's when God came through. And that's when they experienced healing. Maybe you've asked God to do something big in your life. But you've ignored the simple things that God would say, you don't need miraculous, you just need simple obedience. Just do the things I put before you. And so these guys, they went, they took the next step. Verse 15, it says, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice. And, and then it says, just imagine this picture, he threw himself at Jesus' feet, this total picture of submission, and he thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. And, and we're going to find in the text, that was a big deal. Now, there's no doubt about it. All of these ten men were grateful. They had to be. They had just gotten relieved of a death sentence. They had to be incredibly grateful. But only one of them came back. All of them were freed from this alienation that they had felt day after day after day. But isn't it true there's a big difference between asking and receiving something that you think you want or something that you need and giving thanks for it? There's a huge difference. It's an entirely different thing. Many of you, you're wired up this way, and I, I can relate on this as well. You get a goal in your mind, a hill to climb, and you start and you work hard and you keep that goal in front of you and, and you press on and you do hard things in order to accomplish that. And when you finally do, it is more natural for you instead of looking back and saying, thank you, God, for giving me the strength to do what I thought you wanted me to do. Instead of doing that, you look quickly to the next hill. You ever do that? I mean, all the time around here, I feel like I was convicted by this. I mean, we have an event, or we're praying for a service, or we're trying to build a bill. All these things that are happening. And it's so much easier for me personally to go, what's the next hill? Well, where are we going? And I know many of you are wired that way too. It takes intentionality, though, doesn't it, to stop and say, hey, I'm going to look back. And I'm going to give thanks. And here's the reality that I think is so true. When we slow down and we give thanks, I believe it's in that place that God directs us, not to the necessarily the next hill that we have, that we think we need to accomplish. But I think in that place, in that posture, first things first, in that posture of gratitude, I think God says, now here's the next thing for you. Here's the next hill to climb. So before I come down, though, too hard on these other nine guys, I was thinking this week about this. My mind immediately wanted to go to, oh, those guys are foolish. Like, come on, guys are fool. What are they doing? Why did they not give thanks? After all, they'd been healed. But I asked myself the question, why didn't they come back? Why were there nine guys? I mean, surely this one Samaritan had a friend, at least he could have persuaded. Like, will you please come back with me? I mean, none, they, didn't, they didn't come back. But Why? And I thought to myself, you know, some of them, maybe they hurried off. They, they saw, and we don't know what this was like. I mean, maybe they saw, likely, they saw their fingers come back. We saw, they saw like, wow, I used to limp, and I feel good. I'm running now. I'm, it would have been miraculous. 
But I wonder if some of them thought, I've been away from my kids for years. I'm running back to them. I wonder if some would have thought, my family's dying on the vine because no one's providing. i got to go try to secure this job that I lost. I wonder if a couple of these men were like, I, I always wanted to get married. And they ran back and they're like, match.com. You know, they're like, get on it, right? i got a new life. We don't know. We don't know what was going through their mind. But one of them came back. One of them, before he moved on, he turned. The word in the scriptures, it translates, he, it, it translates the same word as repentance, meaning this. I'm walking one way in life, and I realize, wrong way. I repent, I turn, and I go the other way. That's what this one did before he moved on to the next thing. And you know for a fact they had been thinking about the next thing for a long, long time. This one came back. And what's even more significant is that this one was a Samaritan. This one was not Jewish. This man was not one of the other nine Jewish men. This guy would have had a different belief system than them. The other guys would have looked at this person and they would have said, he worships a foreign God, like his religion is, is different than ours. So imagine it. You've got nine church guys that get healed and they keep going. You've got one guy unchurched and what does he do? He's the one. He returns. He came back. All ten of them were physically healed, but only one of them was healed in his heart. And when I look at this passage, I can think, whoa, in so many ways, I might not have physical leprosy, but I know I've had leprosy of the heart, much bigger than physical leprosy. One of them came back. And so when he comes, Jesus says, hey, three questions for you. He says this in verse 17. He says, we're not all ten cleansed. Imagine this, one guy on, his, on the ground before Jesus. We're not all ten cleansed. We're, where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? I mean, imagine that moment. Here he is. He's on his face before God. But Jesus wants to know, where are the other nine? Where are the church guys? Where are the guys that they sing to me on the weekends? Like, where are they? One guy put it this way. He said, one of the roadblocks to giving thanks is that we attribute things to secondary causes and to ourselves rather than to God. I'm thankful, Mother Nature, that you brought the rain. Oh, thank you. We needed that. Oh, I'm so thankful for my health. Where would I be without my health? Oh, man, you ought to meet my mama. Man, she raised me good. I'm so grateful for mama. My friends, they saved my life. Now, it's okay to say thank you to those things, right? To those people, right? But what is the primary cause of all good things? The primary cause. And are we quick to give him thanks? Are we quick to lay before him and just be overwhelmed with gratitude? In preparing for this message, I heard a story of this, this guy who was roofing a home, and he was on top of this three-story house, and, and as he's up there working, he kind of tripped over his cord, and so he began to fall off the roof, and, and he knew, hey, I'm up three stories. He knew he would either tumble to his death or he'd break his neck for sure. And so as he's falling, he cries out to God, and he says, God, help me, God, help me, and 
but he kept sliding. He's going off the roof. God, help me, he cries out. God, help me. Finally, he gets right to the edge. His legs go over the gutter, and there he is. And as he's going over, his back belt loop gets caught on a nail. And in that moment, now he's just hanging there. He says this, God, never mind. My pants got caught on a nail. <laughs> now I heard that, and I laughed, and then I thought, that's me. That's me. I can, I can go through life and God, God, you can bless me. And, and then I can just attribute it to something that's not the primary cause. Are we quick to say, primary cause? God, all good and perfect gifts come from above. God, they come from, they come from you. I was convicted, convicted by that. Maybe you've been on the receiving end of, of this. Maybe... You know, maybe you've got a quick story to tell where you could say, I gave someone a gift and I didn't get a thank you back. Have you ever had that happen? You gave someone a gift and, and, and they didn't respond and, and you thought it was a great gift and you poured into it. And you realized in that moment that when they didn't respond with any gratitude, they didn't understand the magnitude of the gift. They just didn't get it. Every adult child knows that moment when they realize the sacrifice that their parents made for them. You ever had that? Mom and dad watching online, thank you again. Yes, you're good, right? You ever had that moment where you just go, I had no idea. I had no idea. Gratitude. Verse 19 then, Jesus responds this way. He says to the Samaritan, he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, understand this. No one is made right before God by having a grateful disposition. No one is made right before God by that at all. But what Jesus is doing is he's teaching us a point, And he's saying this, where there is a person that's truly experienced salvation, a person that was far from God and God pulled them out of that, God redeemed them. Wherever that is true, what will accompany that is a heart of gratitude. So a heart of gratitude isn't just, oh, good, you're a thankful person. No, a heart of gratitude is an expression. It is evidence to authentic faith. And so this also translates, Mr. Samaritan, your faith has, another translation, it says, it has saved you. There's been a healing here that's taken place that is far greater than physical leprosy. You have been healed right to the core of who you are are you've been cleansed you know if you gave me something that cost you personally a whole lot and you got no gratitude in return from me it wouldn't mean that your gift came with strings it wouldn't mean that at all if i didn't express any gratitude to you it wouldn't it wouldn't mean that but what it would mean is this it would mean that i had no idea that it cost you I had no idea of the magnitude, the effort, everything that you put into the gift if I expressed no gratitude to you. Think of it this way. An ungrateful Christian is an oxymoron. It just doesn't add up. It doesn't compute. Christian, Christ followers, we should be the, the most uh, grateful people on the planet. I mean, think about this. <laughs> Jesus, without you, what kind of father would I be? Imagine it. The kids are right over there. They'd be like, ooh, it's already rough, Dad. I mean, whoa, without Jesus? Huh. Well, 
What kind of husband would I be without Christ? What kind of worker would I be? Well, who would you be without Jesus Christ had he not rescued you? I gave myself a little bit of time this week to think about that. And I thought about life pre-Christ, and then I I thought about what God has done in my life. And here's the thought that came to my mind. This is who I think I would have become, a self-absorbed person who was living a destructive life, that at the end of my life, I would have said, my legacy bears no fruit apart from Christ. But with Christ, I find hope. I mean, how do you get through cancer? You, you find hope in Christ. How, how, do you, how do you persevere? I find guidance in Christ. I find mission in Christ. I find confidence. And I love this. I find grace upon grace upon grace. So when I screw up, which is often, you know what? I find the grace of God. I mean, that's where I am with Christ. That's where you are with Christ. And when you express gratitude, I think it's as though God from heaven, I think he kind of computes that as you saying, I get it. I might not fully get it, like in my, in, you know, in my mind, but to the best of my ability, I get the sacrifice. The gift isn't one I treat tritely at all. Christy Taylor is in town for a few weeks, and she's giving her life for the last couple of years, several years, to, to working with refugees in Athens. And I, I just asked myself this question this morning. I said, what does this sharp young woman, why does she give her life to serving in a refugee camp in Athens? Why does she do that? And the answer was so simple. It's because she's been overwhelmed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The goodness of God, it, it breaks her. And so she looks at people differently. It directs her life. She gives up things so that she can do what she feels like God calls her to. But why does she do it? It's not complex. It's that her heart is grateful for what God has already done. Church, this is why you love people. Church, this is why I love being out in the community. Just yesterday, talking to you know, one of the other families playing on the basketball team, heard of Brookside, had good things to say about it. You know why? That, that's because of you. You know why? It's because you love people. Why? Because you're motivated by the gospel, because you're, because you're grateful. It's why you serve. It's why you give in ways sometimes it doesn't even make sense. It's why you look at people and you see situations that are hopeless and people approach you and they say, how do you have hope? What's different What's different for you? Your gratitude and the goodness of God, it propels you. Now, I, I don't know about you, just to kind of to wrap this up. I don't know about you, but if I'm going to cultivate things in my life that don't come easy, it's easier for me to complain or to ask for something than it is for me to simply say thank you. I mean, if you've ever been to a department store and, and uh, you know, you're over at, maybe over at Target, and have you ever seen somebody just, like, get down on a knee and just say, to their, their child, hey, little Johnny, um, we're going to go through the store today. And, hey, I just want to tell you, if you see anything you want or anything that you need, you tell me today. No secrets. Fist bump, promise. If you see something you want, you've got to speak up. Like, if, if, if there is a child out there that needs that kind of prompting, 
the darts will take two of them, right? I mean, it, they're not out there. But in order to be grateful, it's easy to ask. But in order to be grateful, I've got to do, do things. I've got to put things in my life to help me do that. And so our team this week, we just said, hey, this is an important one. This is a first things first matter. I mean, imagine a church that, that, that frequently, extravagantly expressed gratitude. What would that, what would that be like? And so this week, um, uh, I want to encourage you. You can grab one of these on your way out today. It's just a very simple slip that we've got for you. It says expressing gratitude at the top. If you have a family, take one for everybody in it. Maybe you put it on the fridge, whatever. But spend some time. It could be small things. The first thing on mine, I saw a picture this week that prompted this one. I thank God for clean drinking water. I don't have to worry about that. I turn on the tap. I never question it. Um, the laughter of my kids. I I'm thankful for that. A warm house. It's small, isn't it? But I, I can take that for granted. And don't forget the big things. Don't, don't forget the things that should move you to worship extravagantly, should move you to tears even sometimes to think, God, I was far from you, but now I'm not far from you. Fill this up. Make this a practice this week and see what it does in you. We thought we'd take it even one step further. I don't know about you these days, though. You know, sometimes I'm on social media and, and, uh, and it just seems like it's just negative and just blah, blah, blah. And, and we thought, you know what, let's, let's light it up this week as a church with, with things that we're thankful for. And so on our Facebook page, even today, you can go there right now, it's already started. And, and you can just put, we're asking a very simple question, what are you grateful for? And let's build this muscle of gratitude into our lives. Know this, there were ten lepers healed, but only one came back. And so this morning, I think Jesus' message to us is this, let's live like that one. Let's live like that one. I can relate to the other nine, but let's live like that one and give him, give him the praise that he, he deserves. So yeah, let's pray to that end. Jesus, thank you, Lord, for this morning, and Father, thank you for your word, and Lord, we just pray that we would be the kind of people that we truly are grateful, that we would be the kind of people, Lord, that um, we are quick to be like this Samaritan, that we would run to you, and we would say, God, we thank you for the things that you've put in our lives, Lord. So God, might it be a first things first matter, might you prompt that in our hearts. Lord, we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing a song now, and uh, this song, it's a, a, I love the lyrics of this song, and I just want to encourage you as we sing it, you might be a person here today, maybe this is all brand new to you, I just, I want to say this to you as we, be, before we sing, that Samaritan was far from God, but when he expressed gratitude for what God did, God healed him, God, God healed his heart. And so I just want to encourage you, maybe this morning you come to God for the very first time and you just say, I've never been grateful for the fact, Lord, that I can know you. And um, maybe today you would just, you would receive Christ. Yeah, I think the, the words of the song will, I think they'll make great sense to you. And then we're going to watch Sam's baptism story. And, and I'll tell you what, baptism, it's incredible. It's, this, it's a story of, of gratitude. I'm grateful, God, that, that you changed me. So let's stand now and... Um, yeah, let's, let's sing with grateful hearts this morning.